2: and welcome to another special bonus episode of Mysteries of the Unexplained. I'm actually dancing as I say this because I'm standing up because my back is so sore. Hi, William, how are you?
1: I'm fantastic. I didn't buy a ticket for a musical.
2: (laughs) I hate musicals. They are the worst thing ever. I'm so sorry for singing at you guys. Um, Like, um. Uh, why? What's, like, why do people love them so much? I can't understand You're like, are you going to talk to me or are you going to sing to me? You never know what's coming Like, is it a song or is it a play? What's going on?
1: I like musicals but um, I don't like movie musicals
2: Oh my god, Mamma Mia actually like freaks me out Like I can't watch it, I can't I just can't be in the room when it's on, it actually makes me feel sick
1: Oh, that's two things that make me feel sick you as well
2: Oh William, how's your little tush this week?
1: Absolutely pert and um, very, very cake-like <laughs> uh, How's your pancake?
2: My pancake is as flat as ever uh, I gave up with the squats because look, nothing was happening um, So I know it's very risky but I'm just going to save up for a Brazilian butt lift
1: Oh, because that's what you need Word knitting.
2: That is what I need in my life. Oh, no, I don't need to pay the rent at all. I need a Brazilian butt lift. Apparently very, very dangerous. But look, I mean, I think it would come back to me in follows on Instagram. Do you think? N- <laughs> no, I absolutely don't, you fucking cretin. I, well, me? listen. Um, I am back here with a special episode this week because... um. I had, to put in a, I had to put in two parts, guys. I just couldn't make it any smaller. But oh my God, it's a cracker. You may remember last week, Will, that I told you a story. Now, I know the old short-term memory isn't too good, but can you remember anything about it whatsoever?
1: I know that it was called the Myrtle Plantation. Um, and I know that mm-hmm. it was a plantation of myrtles.
2: Once again Will fails his junior
1: certificate No there was a haunted house It was a haunted house Mm -hmm. And the woman was being dramatic Telling her story (laughs) <laughs> um, and had made it into a motion picture And there was some grade A acting from some Southern bio. Um, I don't know what her name was But I think she's up for an Oscar possibly I don't
2: know I think she has been just on the strength of that first episode She has indeed been uh, nominated for an Oscar and an Emmy But we're going to have to see if she can follow up that performance this week Because we know that this particular Southern belle is not known for her consistency in accents <laughs>
1: I, I <laughs> strongly dispute that, but go on with your <laughs>
2: bet, chance. <story. laughs> Get up, bear again. garden. Uh, yes. So what was happening last week is a lady had fallen in love with a house in Louisiana. Just outside new Orleans. And uh, she kind of gone against some people's advice and bought the house. And the minute she moved into this big old plantation house, uh, things started happening. So she is there. Her husband hasn't arrived yet. He's back in California, tying up ends of selling their old property. She is there with a man by the name of John L, who actually, I first I thought he he was just the agent, but John L has actually owned this house at a time before. And John L seems very unforthcoming about what is going on in the house. And whenever she asks him, he's just like, I wouldn't know anything of that kind. So she's done a little bit of research. She knows that a woman and her two daughters were poisoned in the house, and she also had a very strange apparition of a lady in green. Green, Who um, was standing over her with a candle lighting when she woke up one night and was like, "Yeah, hey, all right, dear love." Actually, <laughs> shot myself. So here we go, Myrtle Plantation Part Two. Information about the house continued to arrive from unexpected sources. A few evenings later, I was to meet a friend of John L's who had extensively researched the place. His name was Hampton, or Hamp, for short. He had fallen in love with the place when John L. had bought it years ago. He had met with the former curator, Mr. Celestine, and they had had hundreds of experiences with spirits in the house. And together, they had actually communicated with Sarah. You might remember that Sarah was the mother of two kids that apparently had been poisoned in the house. Hamp said something very odd to me. He explained that Mr. Celestine and Sarah were in love. Even though he was obviously human and she was obviously not. Yes, this curator of the house was in love with a g- 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 ghost.
1: Mentally insane.
2: Your last boyfriend was ghost.
1: Your last boyfriend was definitely a ghost. Well, it never existed.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I begged him for more information, but as the light faded, he became very eager to leave and went just before dark giving me a big hug and promising to return to our conversation soon That evening over more drinks I was really getting into the swing of this southern habit of taking every opportunity to imbibe I asked John L about his general opinion on ghosts Once again he refused to say anything in particular about the myrtles and he went on a soliloquy about the esoteric debate surrounding the nature of ghosts He went off to bed sometime later having given me no straight answer and leaving me more confused than ever. I had taken to staying in the parlour late at night after my experiences upstairs and that night I had a very intense feeling of terror come over me soon after John L. left the room. I darted towards the hallway to make it to my room but was stopped in my tracks by what I saw. Floating over the huge staircase in the hallway was a formation of bright lights arranged like those of a candelabra, suspended in the air about four feet off the stairs. I stood there, frozen, unable to move, as the lights descended the stairs and passed through the hallway and disappeared. I rushed straight to John's room and pounded on his door till my hand hurt. Nothing. I couldn't bring myself to run up the stairs. I was still so petrified. I grabbed a bottle of brandy from the parlour and took a huge gulp of it before I went to bed again on the parlour sofa. This was becoming a habit. The next morning I once again immediately confronted John L. about the night before and again I was met with complete dismissal. A thought dawned on me. Is he ignoring this whole phenomenon? Or is he actually just very afraid? I called my best friend and former housemate Charles He, like me, was obsessed with the Victorian era and we had shared a beautiful house together after my first divorce. He had immediately asked if he could move to Louisiana to curate the house the moment he heard about the move and I had hoped for that very scenario. I had one or two days to back out of this sale and I'm starting to get very, very cold feet. I knew what Jim's answer would be. I love you and I support you no matter what you decide to do. Very lovely, but not helpful in this scenario. Charles felt as I did. He was uneasy about the occurrences but was so intrigued and in awe of the house that he thought it was too beautiful an opportunity to pass up. I agreed and the deal was finalised. I kept sleeping on the couch and prayed for Charles to get there quickly. Our housemaid, Lily May, had been working at the house a long time. When I tried to question her about doors seemingly opening and closing, footsteps and flickering lights, she just said that the house had always been like that. These things happen all the time. Don't worry yourself about them. But later on, after I'd gotten to know her better, she admitted that she was scared to work in the house alone late at night and that if John L. wasn't there, she would always bring one of her children to the house with her while she worked. One night, her and her young son Victor were upstairs when they heard a terrible crash downstairs. They came down the stairs to see huge buckets of dirt strewn all over the hallway she grabbed her son and ran out of there as fast as she could. Another time, her teenage son came with her and came running and screaming down the stairs, swearing that a broom had arisen from the corner and chased him out of the room and down the staircase. Myself and Charles encountered many ghost experiences in the house, too many to recount here, but one in particular stands out. There were too many heavy drapes in the house to go around closing at night time. Besides, The previous curator had gone around and discreetly placed bags of salt behind each window, tied to the drapes to ward off evil spirits. I had begun taking them down when I learned about them from Lily May, but as the experiences in the house ramped up I had quickly changed my mind. On this particular night I got a terrible fright as I looked out into the well-lit yard. A very old-fashioned looking wheelchair was sitting right in front of the house. I screamed for Charles and he came hurtling out of his bedroom, minus his glasses, without which he could see very little. Of course this hampered him, confirming what I could see, and we ran back to his bedroom to look for them. They could not be found. I looked everywhere. He swore he had left them on the nightstand beside his bed as usual. I couldn't see them. We huddled together on the couch, absolutely freaked out. Is it still there? He whispered to me, Some time later. It peeped over the comforter. Oh shit, yes, only this time it's moved up inside the garden. The next morning, when we woke up, finally after falling asleep in the early hours, I went to Charles' room, and there were his glasses, sitting exactly where we had left them on the nightstand. In the meantime, something even weirder had come to light. One night, I popped into Charles' room and saw something that absolutely shook me to the core. We had taken to leaving our bedroom door slightly ajar at night time because of all the strange occurrences. On this occasion, I had peeped in to see a lady in a beautiful tea dress with a very distinctive face and haircut dancing around his room. I stood there in the doorway, absolutely transfixed. Her hair was shoulder length, turned in at the ends, and her dress was black and silky. She kept twirling and twirling with a type of light that kept twinkling over her head and I could see that she was very petite and short of stature. Charles! Charles! I finally managed to sputter out. There's somebody in your room! What? Charles managed to jump out of his bed and ran back into my bedroom and pulled me into the bed. Who is she? He gasped. You can see her too.
1: Yes, of course. I've never
2: seen her before.
1: But I thought she was a real person. But then again, a real person wouldn't be floating a few feet off the floor. At one point, I thought I heard her talking, complaining that ladies were now wearing pants instead of dresses.
2: (laughs) If you came back as a ghost, you'd absolutely be giving out about that. You'd be like, what a bet down outfit. We spent the rest of the night huddled together under my covers, like children, terrified to peep above them. A few weeks later, I was back at my parents' house in San Jose. I needed a break from all the madness at the house and it was good to see my family and friends. Charles rang me every day and things at the Myrtle seemed to have calmed down. One day, he had very interesting news. While researching the house, he'd found out that the Miss Shaw family, who had owned the house from 1951 to 1975, had moved to San Jose. What a coincidence! They actually now lived less than a mile from my parents' house in California. I was blown away, and even more so when I learned that they were happy to talk to us and fill us in about their time at the house. I found myself knocking at the door a few days later. Their home was built on a very old site, where there was an old shack that I had actually played in as a kid, and it was known locally as the Haunted House. We were met at the house by the lovely and diminutive figure of Mr Michaud who welcomed us warmly and looked much younger than his 95 years. He explained to me that his wife was now very frail and spent most of her time in bed but wanted to meet us today and was very excited to do so. A few moments later my jaw dropped as she wobbled into the room. I was face to face with the same woman who I had seen dancing a few nights earlier in Charles's room. She was much, much older, of course, but I was sure her face looked so distinctive. My mind boggled as she smiled warmly and took a seat opposite us. How was this happening? My life had turned into a never-ending series of mysterious twists and turns, and I was just along for the ride. We spent some time there, and the couple were incredibly warm and hospitable. I was afraid to look directly at Miss Michaud, but I did manage to obtain some information about her time at the Myrtles. She, like I, had fallen in love with the place and thought she would remain there for the rest of her days. But at the time, she had been made to feel very unwelcome by the locals in Francisville, even though they had lived in the locality for almost 25 years and presented many recitals and community plays at the Plantation House, as theatre and performance was a big part of her life. She had even recited to us a song from the 50s. She seemed to still hold on to much bitterness from her time there and had never quite made peace with their leaving. But she was, of course, a real living and breathing person still. So how had I seen her several nights earlier dancing in Charles' bedroom hundreds of miles away? I decided not to press the matter of her time there due to her old age and fragile health and at the end of the night thanked them both earnestly for their time and hospitality. Back at my parents' house, the first thing I did was call Charles. Charles, you'll never guess who the dancing ghost was we saw in your room that night, I exclaimed excitedly.
1: Mrs Michaud. Michaud. (laughs) Mrs Michaud.
2: Michaud, it's French. He almost shouted down the line at me. I was blown away. How the heck could he know that?
1: I found a box of old photographs and postcards here from the fifties and sixties. One of them showed Mrs. Michaud standing in a parlor in an antebellum gown. I recognized her straight away. Hi!
2: <laughs> On my return to the plantation house, I delved into that box of photos and found out much more about the life of Mrs. Michaud. And somewhat disturbingly, it brought to light many similarities between her life and mine. Mrs Michaud passed away shortly after my meeting her, another piece of the puzzle I felt completely useless to solve. My time at the Myrtles had led to more questions than answers. That was to remain true for quite some time. Both Mrs Michaud and I had lived in San Jose, just miles apart, and we had both bought the Myrtles' house a single businesswoman who had married shortly thereafter. We had both studied music. A letter I found from her accountant had strongly advised her not to purchase the Myrtle's house, deeming it to be a bad investment. Likewise, my accountant in California had written to me advising me not to go through with the purchase. We had both ignored the advice. As I delved deeper into the box of letters and photos, I found a schedule from a cruise liner that detailed that Mrs Michaud had visited Haiti just before buying the house as had I. No, it couldn't be, I thought to myself. Could we both be fated to be linked to a fateful voyage in Haiti before purchasing the house? The guide's words rang in my ears, the words he told me on that day that now seemed forever ago, standing in the Haitian jungle, having interrupted an ancient voodoo ceremony. They put a curse on you. They put a curse on you. They put a curse on you. you So actually, this book continues, and I'm not even joking. Like you have to get it. It's um. Oh, what is the name of it here? Let me get you the name, cause I want you to read the book. Yeah, 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 yeah. It is called *The Myrtle's Plantation: The True Story of America's Most Haunted House*.
1: Oh my bitch And um, all
2: the stuff that I told you there is true and then her husband Jim comes to stay at the house with her along with a girl that they kind of took under their wing in California whose name is Joni and very strange things start happening to the house when Joni gets there and they describe her as slightly strange in the head if you know what I mean. Reminds me of a girl that I once knew. <laughs> oh and um, the minute Joni gets there, things ramp up even more. But you're going to have to go online and get the book if you want it, lads. Because I can't be telling you whole books here. Let's just say that Jim and Joni start, you know, getting a little bit... Fond of the alcohol. Um, and that's, uh, that's another thing. She says that, like, when she got there, she started drinking mad the whole time to, like, put up with the fucking ghosts that were in the house. Imagine me drinking up as it is. If I went into a house, I thought I'd be IV lying into my arm to deal with what was going on. And she stayed there for many, many years. I,
1: you'd be oblivious to it. You'd
2: I would oblivious. not. I'm very highly sensitive to esoteric happenings, William.
1: You can barely focus for half a day, so I doubt you'd be able to fucking keep an eye on the happenings of a spectral ghost.
2: Are you? Ch- are you actually taking the piss right now?
1: No, I'm not. Everybody's writing into the podcast saying that Annie can't focus. I heard everyone was talking about it. we actually <laughs> have a group. So. Will
2: you can't talk to somebody And look at your phone at the same time You're literally not able I can see your brain farts happening Like when I ask you a question When you're on the phone doesn't register I, am, not I haven't seen can't. you in months I, That's an
1: invalid statement
2: yeah. When will I see you again hopefully a long, long time. precious moments hey 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 I love ya I do I do now I don't have any ask Will or ask Annie or Billy's Bizarre news this week because it is a bonus episode lads and don't be ripping the absolute arse out of me you're getting three episodes this week two, well two for the lads that won't even pay for the, the Patreon but should we know about ye we know about ye now is there <laughs> oh anything that you God. want to s- I'm watching ye I've got the I'm watching I'm watching I'm watching and I'm writing it all down in my little book. And the day that I leave this earth, I'm handing over that book to the devil when I meet him on the doorstep and he'll be coming for you, bitch.
1: And he'll say, shut the fuck up and get inside.
2: (laughs) Get in there, we've been waiting for you. The party's about to start. Oh, I don't even like saying that about the devil. I'm such a Catholic girl at heart. Is there anything you would like to say this week, Will? Uh,
1: um, Auditions are now taking place for a new host of a paranormal show on Mysteries (laughs) of the Unexplained.
2: Ah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to say anything
1: to join us on Friday.
2: Will will be back on Friday with the main episode for this week. I hope you enjoyed this little bonus scary spook from Myrtle's Plantation. Until anon, my friends, stay safe and join us next time for more (gasps) mystery. Of the explained, the